Hi, everybody. Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. I am so excited because you know how I get it's my Christmas NCT release day. Maybe it's more like my birthday 17 release days or Christmas. Anyway, the point is super exciting day for me. A great start to the week. And I'm so excited to talk about all things Golden Age. Let's start with a quick track-by-track track rundown, in my biased opinion, then get to the visual aspect of the story. My music video theories, teaser content, easter eggs I noticed, etc. Overall, Golden Age really impresses me. Again, I know I'm super biased, but just with the ways it exemplifies NCT-isms. The unique NCT formula. It is once again in their wheelhouse, the rowdy, unconventional wheelhouse. The genre blurring, the indescribable category of its own characterization, the constant exciting switch-ups of combinations of rappers and singers. My more objective critic take on the album is that it is an acquired taste, which means it is everything I love in an NCT release. It's like the Firetruck era or Chain, even Sticker to an extent. They're noisier sound, they're eras that are more out there and maybe not necessarily easy on the ears for some people. Some people just hear sharpness or annoying repetition or whatever, or just a cacophony as opposed to all the layers feeling like they're connected. I understand that, but I love that chaos. I think it's controlled chaos, creative chaos, artistry done right. So anyway, I love that they leaned into that classic NCT formula, where it's always addition, never subtraction. Like, songs are so layered, so many instrumental layers, ad-libs, voices, and they don't care. They pile it all on, all the extra toppings, do not care, a more is more approach. So listening to this album flies by so freaking fast. It is a wild, unpredictable roller coaster, and the ways I would argue to a critic who says this is a bit too disjointed, I would argue actually they pull it off because they kind of put together these Frankenstein songs through smooth transitions back and forth between rapping and singing. Just without a nanosecond of a pause, they transitioned from one to the other. It's super impressive. I also think they pull off the sonic detours throughout their work because they just have a good synergy and go off of each other in constantly fresh and exciting combinations. I also think they pull it off because there's real talent, so it doesn't feel like a big, gimmicky, overwhelming listening experience. They're not giving 110% because they feel like they have something to prove. They're giving it because they really want to just have as much fun and a carefree, let's try it, experimental attitude as they can. So it's their daring, bold, confident image mixed with their genre fluidity, rapid transitions between singing, rapping, changing up their flow on a dime. All of that, I think, really helps make these songs palatable, even though they shouldn't be, because they are so chaotic and full. But they pull it off. So the one-of-a-kind mixtures are back, starting right off with baggy jeans. Which also adds a bonus reason why I argue their eccentric style is pulled off. Because Baggy Jeans has that classic NCT route. Enough repetition to keep you engaged and singing along, but also constantly changing. It's a moving song, always evolving, but it has some repeated parts. The chorus is still pretty basic, not sonically, but lyrically. The biggest attention grabbers for me personally when I first heard this song were how Ten, Taeyeon, and Mark kick things off. What a classic group. Taeyeon and Mark back and forth, Taeyeon and Ten, just dynamic duos, and then a freaking holy trinity of artists. Such an exciting way to start things off. 
I also just love it. It's a hip-hop dance song that has very wild, funky, distorted synths. I love the little ode to Shalala I got from Taeyeon's whispering. And then he says, lose it or spend it in a voice that just drove home for me. Wow, he's really grown. Like he has really become way more confident. He's really grown into the confident image he projected since Firetruck. But since his solo comeback, even his solo debut officially, I feel like he's really stepped into his own and really just owned his ability to own the spotlight. So it's very exciting to see this song is classic NCT and great for longtime fans to see their confidence boost over time. It's emotional, but also just super fun. Call D is the next song. I am 95% sure they knew what they were doing with that title. They knew the innuendos. The press statement technically says it's about danger. D for danger. So go with that if you'd like. It starts with a phone call, which we'll get back to later. Why that's notable. Tons more iconic duo activity with Taeyeon and Ten. So many different sound effects. This is also a song that is really standout because it, if you wear headphones, really good like surround sound and or noise canceling headphones, you will hear the wildest swooshing from your ear to ear. Like it goes in one ear out the other, literally. It's the coolest thing. So it's a great showcase for Ten and Taeyeon and just incredible pristine sound quality. Pado, which means wave, is the next song. More Taeyeon. We are winning Taeyeon bias people. It's got quite a horn combination with whistling and so many other unnecessary extras thrown on. Total example of their everything but the kitchen sink approach. And then a really jolting abrupt ending with one final whistle. The song is auditorily a very new-to-them way of getting across the same analogy they've gone back to again and again about radio signals, waves, metaphors about being on the same wave, the same wavelength as someone you love, letting your feelings of love wash over, overpower you. I do think also it would be great on a playlist next to Tantara by Icon. Next is Interlude Oasis. Still super busy. Kind of surprising. Like, the interlude could have been a time where they chose to kind of slow things down, go stripped back or spaced out, opt for a not times to the speed vibe. But no, they kept it really full and busy, like a full-length song. It's a really dreamy pop song that again shows off their nimbleness going from sinning to rapping and just consistently blurring those lines by sinning in such a rapid, talk-like fashion. They're also really good at bringing to life a rich sound because of all the add-ons, not just like the answering machine and stuff, but like in this one, they have the squeak of sneakers, like on a gym floor. In past albums, the engine revving noises and stuff have really helped pull me in. They really create an immersive audio experience, again, if you have headphones on and want to escape into their world. They add the soundtrack for N-City. They fittingly end the interlude with the lyric, We Continue. Next up is the winner for most ridiculous lyrics. It's called The Bat. All I could think about and picture is the Twilight Baseball games and NCT doing a spoof of that, which they totally should for a reality show or something. It seems intentional, but maybe not, that they say it so it almost sounds like my bad. So cavalierly, they talk about my bat, but it sounds like my bad, but they say it in a way like, I really don't care. It's kind of snide. 
They have lyrics about the bat on the bat. Like, they are Bruce Wayne. They are Batman up to bat. It's ridiculous. I love it so much. With lyrics like, tick-tock, tick-tock, woo. It is moving and deep and fantastic. I'm not sarcastic when I say it's great. I am when I say it's deep. But it's a really wild song with the sound to boot. Then comes another personality-packed twist on a classic premise of a song about going for the gold, always winning, Ellie Oop. Again, a smart balance. Repetitive courses in unison, then doing their own thing, like bouncing off ideas off each other for the song in real time the rest of the time. The alley-oop phrase, by the way, it refers to this basketball move. Basically, when you're right by the net and you're up in the air, someone will catch the basketball, dunk it while you're there. Like, before you hit the ground, you dunk, and someone threw the ball to you. It can also just broadly be a term for some big physical performance or sporting event moment. When you're trying to get all eyes on you, you're trying to draw attention to a big, slick move. I just can't help thinking of American Girl, Stan American Girl for Life, the Alley Oop nickname. If you know, you know. I bet Julie loves this song. That's Not Fair has a really fun flute and, again, the character and unpredictability of the rapping, especially verse 2 as next level rap for them. Mark's ad-libs, and other just super fun, less intense parts of the song too, la-la-las and bum-bum-da-dums. It ends screeching to a halt with the lyric, get him out my way. And then we jump into Kangaroo, which is another runner-up for most ridiculous lyrics. It totally sounds like they're talking about a type of drink or something when they talk about being like a tripping kangaroo. I don't know, it sounds like the name of a drink order. They sing about feeling out of place even in the zoo. The song is quite a character, and it's good transition-wise, because speed-wise, it's mid-tempo-ish, so it's slowing things down, but kind of gradually, into the next song, which is the slowest one. The piano-led Not Your Fault. Not Your Fault is a nice, this too shall pass, consoling song that ends with the lyric, my love. So just as you thought they were running out of steam when it comes to really out-of-the-box ideas and were moving into just generic territory with a love song, they said psych and they ended with the Frankenstein song of all Frankenstein songs, the wild smorgasbord that is the grand finale golden age. It starts out like a beautiful ballad with Doyun. It abruptly transitions into a wild instrumental and ping-ponging off each other with the rapping. Tail and Doyen really outdo themselves and stay in a ballad-like level of passion that was uncalled for, but welcome. And again, they turn something pretty generic into something unique. The song's about, you know, making your dreams come true, basically. The world is your oyster. Embrace possibilities to shape your world. That kind of broad theme. But that optimism feels less corny and more just quirky the way they deliver it in this very weird package. I went down a bit of an interesting research rabbit hole when I found out this song borrows from a Beethoven piece. It's a piano sonata called Sonata Pathétique, and that led me down a subsequent rabbit hole, got me really interested in his relationship with the guys in his inner circle. Let me just explain, because it's an interesting aside, and I will link to the sources on my site as always. This number 8 in C minor, Sonata Pathétique, was created in 1798, then published a year later, when he would be 28. 
Beethoven actually dedicated seven different compositions to his really good friend, Carl Alois, aka Prince Lishnovsky. Before I talk about the piece, I just want to do my aside to the aside about this Lishnovsky guy. I'm just going to call him Prince for short. Prince had relationships with both Beethoven and Mozart. And Prince and Mozart even shared the same fraternity. So Prince and Mozart, here's a sitcom for you, went on a trip together. They had some other hijinks, and Mozart took out a loan that he never paid back. So Prince sued Mozart, and Mozart lost. So Mozart had to, under a new agreement, basically have his wages garnished until he paid back the full loan. Yeah, he took him to court over this. This was back in 1791, and this happened, this court battle, a few weeks before Mozart died. So it was too soon to take effect. But wowzers, this guy was filthy rich, but made sure Mozart owed him money till his death. Anyway, this interesting rich dude was a law student. He collected copies of Bach's work too. And that's interesting because critics have said over the years, this Beethoven number seems to really heavily rip off Mozart and Bach. Some say it sounds like Bach's piece, some say Mozart's, but they think Beethoven was very heavily inspired. If you were to perform all three parts of the OG Sonata, it would take about 19 minutes, which is interesting. If it took 20, that would be very funny, because 20 NCT members. But anyway, there are three parts to it. I apologize. I practice pronouncing these. Still might get it wrong. Part one is the grave. Two, adagio cantabile. Three, rondo. The first part is where a ton of exposition happens. Like, it does not start light with a teaser. It starts with the most, to some critics, emotionally effective part. By laying out the strongest part in some critics' minds at the beginning, this number was smart and showed that ironic mix of the song's title being very vague and very specific. So a world of meanings could be up to interpretation, because it is both the song title pathetic, the adjective, and a reference, you could say, to pathos. There are a lot of ways people back then saw the most prestigious, awe-inspiring music as instrumental-only stuff, because you weren't told what to think a song was about. It was all up to you, up to your interpretation. It was so ambiguous, so varied. The onus being on you to understand what a son is about was viewed as a marker of this highbrow status. So Beethoven definitely in that category. And this number in particular is one of his most praised ever, despite the possible plagiarism, viewed as just really doing a good job setting up an emotional ride for listeners, making them feel the power of so many emotions at once, such an applicable but specifically defined but also not title. A song with power in its ambiguities. There are also a few stages in composing rhetoric for an emotional effect. Yeah, I know, we're getting really nerdy right now, but you know me. That's how I do my recaps. I go down rabbit holes and take you with me. So anyway, composition in rhetoric has invention, arrangement, style or elaboration, memory, and delivery. This piece was thought to check off those boxes, hence the artistic value being so high. There's this interesting quote from Wilhelm von Lenz, who said the piece's ambiguous nature allows young people to be, quote, enchanted by the permission to be pathetic for a little quarter of an hour, unquote. Less than a quarter of an hour, but I love that description. In the future, songs I like, I'm gonna just say, they gave me permission to be pathetic for a little quarter of an hour. 
It's a fun comparison to that that sonata is viewed as most strong with a strong beginning. The character of the song is three-dimensional from the get-go, and it's the same for NCT. Yes, I am comparing NCT to Beethoven. Beethoven couldn't do Firetruck, NCT just did Beethoven. And NCT, the effectiveness of some of their albums is no beating around the bush. They just start off albums 100 miles an hour, just diving right into the weirdness, the multitudes, the layered weirdness. Now let's talk the teaser content. Time for my extra tinfoil hat wearing, bulletin board, red string, any other type of conspiratorial meme from a fangirl that comes to mind. My moment to inhabit all of those memes. It's my time to get really wacky with this. Some of these theories, I genuinely, I'm not trolling you guys, I really think are the case. Some are a bit more out there, but fun to draw those stretches of comparisons anyway. So, a mix of genuine theories and stuff that I know is more likely a coincidence than not, that I still think are worth pointing out, because you never know. So here we go. What I find the most notable, secretly meaningful details in their many teaser pictures and videos for this new era. I really don't think SM Entertainment, I really don't think they knew what they were doing. This was a coincidence. When they had in an NCT teaser picture, you could see the front of a bookstore, including an ad for The Cats Who Wanted More, which critiques a capitalist mentality. If SM gets a hold of my comments, I'll take them back. Sorry, SM, sponsor me. But until they sponsor me, might as well just call it like I see it. With repackages as a concept, how much more capitalist can you get? But anyway, it is so funny to have a company like theirs accidentally put an anti-capitalist PSA in their marketing. They also have a lot of, not just with NCT, but other artists, a lot of photo shoots by this gas station, maybe because it's just cheap and easy to get to, but it is kind of funny, especially also there's this teaser picture of Taeyeon's for this era that has a mobile gas station logo on it in the background. It's like they're accidentally shilling for oil companies while they tout their environmental initiatives. It's just so funny to dissect these teasers, in part because there's a lot that is coincidentally there that is like making fun of themselves. Anyway, the golden rings as a logo itself seems significant for this era because the symbol I've spotted again and again, I've called the resonance rings. A key time travel tool, if you ask me, in the greater story. So for them now to have upgraded to from silver to gold seems notable. Gemin wears a graphic tee that includes a description of what sometimes is viewed as synonymous with dream pop, the subgenre shoegaze, which came from neo-psych groups, neo-psychedelic groups, neo, I'm just saying. But yeah, shoegaze came out of the UK and Ireland in the late 80s, basically dream pop, characterized by creating the waves of sounds distorted to kind of wash over you. Distorted guitar, feedback focus, loud volume, those kind of traits. Hetchin's jacket has an alien patch on it, notable because they've in the past alluded to outer space adventures as part of their dimension hopping. A book in a stack, there's only one I could read the spine of, and it says Steel Structure 09. Yeah, I told you, I get really off the rails with this stuff. Construction workers, please feel free to address my ignorance, but based on what I tried to gather, Division 05 structures are structural. Metal framing in Division 05, structural. Non-structural framing, Division 09. 
So they're alluding to the less robust, thinner framed O9. You'll notice in the Golden Age video, they burn the charm that says 05 on it. So they're really going for the non-structural approach. There could be some deeper meaning there, that they uplift 09 and downgrade 05. The presence of transportation keeps on expanding and being their focus. From cars, planes, helicopters, trains, they're making sure to check off every box. Adding to that bingo card, now we have a double-decker bus and the skateboards. Chunla, riding that bus, passes a clock face that seems to have a red glow coming out of it, which is notable because Chunla seems to have red glow coming out of his hands. He has like a magical force field power here, like the power he had to control the flames around him in the 2020 Resonance era. His powers fully come to fruition in the comebacks with the whole NCT group. Winwin is back, and like to make up for lost time, he basically gets to do three repeated NCT symbols in one. The lit match, seeing his reflection, and having a silver key. Okay, super conspiratorial time. Johnny poses by graffiti that in part says BBT, which is shorthand for be back tomorrow. And if we're talking about a time loop story, the word tomorrow is significant. I'm having fun. The members are using video cameras at times, which adds to the meta show-within-a-show premise. The metro station location seems notable, like it could be a wink to the SM station series. Oh, thanks to Zhao Jun, we also now get to add an RV to their transportation bingo card. He seems to hold up a light, or maybe it's kind of emitting from him magically. It's hard to tell where it's from. They're clearly traveling through the seasons, through time. We got the 127 members as summer boys at the beach and the pier, the skate park. Then we have the vacations for the wavy members in more wintry settings for some. I would love to know how they drew straws and got to pick where to do their separate photo shoots. Like London versus a random woods alone when it's freezing. We're back to seeing a ton of red lit rooms when things are going wrong or just should be ominous. One of the ads in the background is for Pyrex, which is a glassware brand. Glass is also elsewhere in the teasers, and glass is a key symbol throughout their world. Every time they break glass, break a screen, break a dimension roadblock, partition between dimensions. Some members do have scenes or pictures in black and white, one for each of them, except Ten, who gets a second black and white scene. I don't know what that means, but it could mean something. Other repeated symbols, the books, the dog, butterflies, there are butterflies on the wall. The butterflies framed on this wall, that image brought to mind the butterflies that, for Espa's story and the broader SMCU, are your way to follow directions, are like your map. Following the butterflies in Quanya, in this larger music video world, the butterflies are your guide. So following the butterflies is key, and now butterflies are back, but they're static. Win-Win has a silver key, Geno now has a gold key for a necklace, and he swings a baseball bat around, which other members have done too in the past, smashing through dimensions, so Geno's dimension hopping, he upgraded from silver to gold. He has more keys for more dimensions, basically. I found it notable that you'd opposed by a yellow fire hydrant just because I'm me and I find all this notable, but also because fire truck, hello throwback reference, 
He also posed by a Captain America poster, so if I knew more about that lore, I could also draw some fun theories to that story too. It is funny though, they have a Batman DC son and then promote Captain America and Marvel, plus the Marvel Comics collab of Super M, yet then they had a DC themed son here, what the heck, maybe they're calling it truce. In the past, I've reminded you to keep tabs on scenes in their videos full of plants and greenery. That is a focus here again, with trees growing very full, practically breaking through open windows. The white sheets are back, white curtains. Some convenient store shots are taken from the security camera's perspective, that angle. They continue to be surveilled, nodding to that Truman Show quality we've talked about before. There's the train, the ocean is back, the blurring of images, glitches in the matrix, so much more. The piano is back, so many symbols I will not repeat that we really dove into in previous episodes in this NCT Talk series. The baggy jeans video actually is more to it than you thought. You just have to really pause and play, pause and play, and these blink and you'll miss it moments show more of a, an Easter egg hunt. They're the flashes of a cityscape, the glitching CGI outfit changes in and out of the dimension, the way they are actually shrunken down, tiny, like they're standing on a, an amp or a speaker. Doyen's by this tiny TV screen. We also have the continuation of that movie within a movie, show within a show within a show, etc. Premise, we see several Doyens. Remember, Doyen also saw multiples of him in Superhuman. Now he's kind of cloned again, and we get the view of him in a picture of him, in a picture of him, several layers deep of him in different dimensions. And you'll recall, I thought he was a big dimension hopper character in the Resonance era short films. So he still is, but now is more on the outside looking in to the nesting doll of worlds from an outside perspective. He also appears by a banged up car, which is interesting because before he was in a pretty pristine white one or a copy of the white one. It's hard to know because everything was cloned in that dimension. Any reference to a birthday, a party, a celebration of another year around the sun has meaning for them. So the party balloons in Taeyeon's room are notable, as well as the fact the camera spins in a full circle as he performs. The Golden Age video has many of the symbols I already listed, but a couple more things to note. There is a chair, a wooden chair on fire in this clearing. So it is surrounded by greenery as usual for their video, but in a barren patch of land in the middle, which is kind of new for them. It's removed from their previous lush environment. There's a similar wooden chair, not on fire, by an empty open window. Runjin later sits at that chair daydreaming. That window he looks out of has white curtains, much like the ones Mark passed through in a previous NCT era video. And those white curtains revealed a scene covered in plastic, like furniture covered in plastic. The world around him was not made to be habitable. And now this guy is dreaming about a world with more in it, more furniture and more symbols of being lived in. So there's a parallel with the white curtain usage again and the fact the dreamer chair, his chair for daydreaming, is elsewhere up in flames. 
The world seems to kind of tilt off its axis, given what I think is very intentional tilting camera work. As this happens, Hetchin and Runjin start suddenly running together. Notable that the character who snaps him out of a daydream to go run is Hetchin, who previously played a huge role in dimension hopping, helping carry people to and among dimensions. That's why he's in several subunits. More of those wooden chairs are upside down, like they've been flipped over angrily in a room with Jemin, who is there, surrounded by shattered glass as well. Then he jumps out the broken window, which reminded me of Taeyeon jumping out the shattered window in regular. Several characters have keys with numbers on them. Like I said before, the 05 one, the one that says 05, that is set on fire. Jungwoo had that, and 10 had naturally the number 10. Jenwoo and Ten enter the same scene, and I found that notable because they are two members with keys, and Ten keeps his, which I feel like we should note for the future of the story. The character who joins them is Jaehyun. In a scene by himself, he looked like he was just sitting at a fire at night alone, but then zoomed out, it looks like he was actually watching the chair on fire, not like an ordinary fire pit. So he has a connection to that meeting spot too. Jemin now picks up a silver key amid rubble. There are so many moments where it's clear they're showing the characters connecting, syncing up across dimensions in different parts of the world. The quick pan from one close-up face to another, the parallels they're setting up, like in one place, Tail is sitting by the window, and mirroring him is Doyeon by another window. Another key in the story, literally a key, Zhao Jun's. He unfurls his palm to show the number 8. And when he does, some water drips off his hair. A short, subtle close-up detail that reveals more than you thought. Because he has wet hair, at least a little bit. Earlier, there was a split-second image of someone drowning, sinking under the water. The car Yang Yang appears in the back of has its back doors open. So it's got this big open back to put people in if you're going to kidnap someone. And I say that because that reminded me of EXO in their story when they were thrown into the back of a van as part of Monster, the Monster era. That's just what the moment reminded me of. You never know. It's hard to tell, but it seems like bullets either shoot out of Taeyeon's arm or just bounce off it like rubber. But something is affected. He has some magical power with the bullets. So he continues to be superhuman, no pun intended. There are five main settings they have spread into groups in at the end. There's a group amid the rubble, amid rocks, boulders. There's a group outdoors somewhere during the day. They're looking content and happy. There's a group who's outdoors in that clearing by the flaming chair at night. There's a group in this dark, empty space that has an ominous red stain on it. And there is just a close-up rapid succession of images showing members losing their keychains, those falling to the floor. Mark ends holding out his hand while he stands in a circle in that blood-stained place. I think it's blood, representative of it, but anyway. He unfurls his hand, shows a key, looks up at the sky, and that's the end of the video. He knows people are looking down at them literally. Like I said, it's a show-within-a-show type of thing. He's becoming self-aware, breaking a fourth wall at the end, telling the audience he has a key, even though the other members just drop theirs. Sorry, I think I said five or six settings. Four main settings. The fifth place to note is just the blur, the montage moment outside of the scenes.
But those are the moments at the end worth noting, that they're spread out, some at day, some at night, some amid rubble, some in a clearing, some witnessing destruction, others witnessing maybe the chance for something new, darkness, light, all sorts of juxtapositions you could read into. Some notable things to remind you from past eras. Chenla has shown his superpowers before, not just with the fire, but like the other members fell asleep, he stayed aware of his surroundings, or maybe didn't have to sleep because he's not human, but as the hourglass ran out, his time did not, and we go up. Like I said before, Hetchin is more aware of his place in these worlds, plural, than other characters. That was really solidified with the proof in the Seven Dream production short film I talked about in NCT Talk Volume 18, where he played like a movie director. Win-Win destroyed a car in the Moonwalk era. Ten also spray-painted on it, so the wavy members have vandalized a car, and now a messed-up car is by Do-Yun. I continue to think Wavy are basically from hell, literally in the story. Like, they are from the seven sins representing depths of humanity or inhumanity. And so they're villains in the story. That's how I interpret their place, hence why Yang Yang might have been ready to kidnap somebody. I find Jemin having a key notable, because he's a character who's witnessed the literal magic. He stared at himself in a full-length mirror in We Go Up, and kind of saw the looking glass world with levitating objects spread out and suspended in the air by just looking at it. He was suddenly believing what was possible. Jenna was surrounded by shattered glass before, too, in Boom. Not sure what that says about his character. Jenwoo and Jaehyun and Ten are the three in the notable symbolic scenes with the flaming chair. The duo, Jenwoo and Jaehyun, had connected storylines before in Two Baddies. They had a special scene together when it started to rain. The phone receiver voice was used in past NCT songs, most recently, I believe, in Vitamin by NCT 127. It's used again on this album. Notable because, remember, a ton of NCT's story was influenced by The Matrix and Inception. The Matrix and Inception and The Truman Show all together is the SMCU. And The Matrix has a key ending scene, spoiler alert, I guess, but it's old enough now you should know, a scene where he makes a phone call, promises to show the humans imprisoned by the machines a world where anything is possible, hangs up, flies away. So, the final phone call about a world where anything is possible makes it super interesting that NCT keep using a phone call motif while singing about literally making anything possible, making their dream worlds come to life. I also find it fun that in Two Baddies, they sang about using keys to open their mind and go for the gold. Now they have the Gold Rings logo and, of course, the keys. I could spend all day talking about the lyric continuity from NCT 127's last album to this thematic material about dreamscapes, blurring the lines between dream and reality, subconscious and unconscious, and conscious mind, and literally making dreams happen, redefining what's possible, dream worlds coming to life, your world playing out like a movie, wanting to reverse time. They specifically had a deja vu lyric last time too. I made a note in past videos. Okay, here's a real harebrained one. I made a note in past videos to keep tabs on the numbers. The use of numbers, especially the fact a ton of fours and nines were used. Fours and nines. License plates, the time, the home address, etc. 
So remember when I said 09 is a key word here to summarize the non-structural framing they want to represent, non-structural steel? That brain they're going for of unstructured waves of consciousness, sea of unconscious theme. I know I'm really stretching, but I'm really having fun. So just let me. So the number nine is important here. There's a clock in a past release that said it was 409. So there's your 09. Now where did the four go? Well, in a video where Zhao Jun is on a train to Kuanya, above him, it says 40 to North 127. His train is headed to those coordinates involving the number 4. So 409 was key, the number 4 went to something already, now the number 9 is being applied. 94 was the name of an apartment where a bunch of pivotal things happened, like the realization that you could take something from the dream world and bring that object, that physical object, into the real one. The flute, remember, from the Resonance era? That flute was taken out of a dream world. Proof that, oh my gosh, I really did travel somewhere. That wasn't just in my head. So the numbers 9 and 4, especially together, super worth noting. And maybe also related to the fact the 05 was burned. Like, 5 is done, now we're gonna respect number 4 more? I don't know. You never know. Anyway, in past episodes, I dive further into the NCT and Matrix connections, not just the main character being named Neo, the computer code being their shade of neon green, the mirror and reflection symbols, the jumping off a skyscraper like Taeyeon did. There's also the glass wall that explodes, hence the meaning of the exploding glass here. And then, of course, there's the reference to the desert of the real, the sea of unconscious, stuff we've talked about in past episodes. So, if you want me to try to clearly, in a concise way, summarize the golden age for NCT. Objective music critic-wise, another acquired taste, showing off a unique, creative vision that draws inspiration from all over. I also do take issue with the do-rag and the dreadlock-esque headpiece. Yikes. Cringe. Not good in so many ways. Really wish SM Entertainment would stop doing that kind of thing. Dialing is not my favorite this era. I will admit that. Even just with things like Taeyeon's hair colors, this era is not working for me. The visual joys in the Easter eggs, not the fashion in hair. Subjectively, I would say this is another classic NCT release that is so full and fun, bursting with sounds and emotions and fun hidden references that bring deeper context to an already rich listening experience. And today's obsessive internet rabbit hole I took you down on was about Beethoven and apparently Mozart not paying what he owed someone and then dying before he could. The sitcom about Mozart is a ghost with his soul not at rest yet. That's a free idea I just put out there and maybe shouldn't have. Another thought-provoking release in so many ways, and emblematic of how I find the icon status worth assigning to this group, doing things so different, leaving their mark in K-pop history, music, boy band history, giving me some fun, theorizing to do. A release day for NCT is just so fun for me. Whatever you get obsessively passionate about in life, I really encourage you to not let anyone just laugh at you. Just laugh with them, embrace it, love what you love, stand what you stand. Life's too short to let others' opinions stop you from doing so. So I'm going to be my weirdest and citizen self today. And yeah, I know I didn't wrap this up cleanly, but I'm just in an excited state. I'll shut up now. Thank you all for tuning in for my unique take. Enjoy this comeback, and I will talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody.